Welcome to the NAFSA International Educator Podcast, the official voice of International Educator Magazine, brought to you by NAFSA, Association for International Educators. Hi, I'm Elizabeth Henley, editor of International Educator Magazine. Welcome to another episode of the IE Podcast. In November, during International Education Week, NAFSA released its annual analysis of the economic contributions of international students and their families to the U.S. economy. This year's analysis showed that the nearly 1 million international students studying at U.S. colleges and universities contributed $28.4 billion to the country's economy and supported more than 300,000 jobs. NAFSA has been conducting this economic analysis for over 20 years, and Rachel Banks and Jason Baumgartner are the brains behind the operation. Rachel is the Senior Director of Public Policy and Legislative Strategy at NAFSA, and Jason is the founder of JB International. In this episode of the IE Podcast, I talk with Rachel and Jason about COVID's effects on this year's data, notable findings from their results, underreported takeaways from the Open Doors report and NAFSA's analysis, and the history of the analysis, including how it's evolved over the years. Well, Rachel and Jason, thank you so much for joining me today. We will we'll dig right in. So the first question, the COVID-19 pandemic clearly had a huge impact on international student enrollment and its contributions to the U.S. economy. Uh, according to NASA's latest analysis, it shows a decline of more than $10 billion and 100,000 jobs uh, in the 2020-2021 academic year. You know, from your perspective, are there some other takeaways from this year's analysis that maybe haven't been widely reported or that wouldn't be immediately obvious to those folks who are kind of steeped in these nuances? Yeah, I think um, one takeaway is that NAFSA's analysis does not include students pursuing post-completion optional practical training in their total dollar amount. We count them as having zero impact because they're no longer taking classes and not paying tuition. So what they contribute to the U.S. economy is offset by the salary they generally earn from their training. Um, in the last 20 years, students on OPT went from less than 4% of the reported total to now 20, over 22% of that reported total. Just over one in five international students that are actually in the United States now are actually pursuing OPT post-completion of their degree program. So while overall student count declined, by 15%, when you remove students participating on OPT, the enrollment decline is actually 17%, which is what really matters for the economic analysis. And also when you're looking at overall enrollment trends too. And it was in 2008 when the OPT program itself added an extension period of 17 months for those in STEM field. And so it went from a year long program to now having an extension on, on that as well. And in 2000, 16, that extension period was even changed further to 24 months. So some students could now stay here for up to three years at that point. This meant that more students are being counted for a longer period of time on the Open Doors report. And as I said earlier, students in OPT have completed their degree programs and are no longer on campus. And that's sort of a big aspect of it. So while they're still tracked in the CVS database and counted on the Open Doors total, that's an aspect that, that you need to take into account. Yeah, and so another takeaway I would add is that our analysis also looks at student type as different student types have different impact. Now, this has an effect on the overall economic totals, uh, such as undergraduate students typically pay full tuition 
whereas graduate students largely in STEM fields can receive assistantships and have their tuition and other school related expenses covered. In this most recent cycle for the 2020-2021 academic year, undergraduate and international student enrollment fell more than 14%, whereas graduate international student enrollment fell by 12%, meaning that the difference in percentages influences the overall dollar contribution total. Yeah, and also differing enrollment um, totals and trends can have an impact. Um, an institution with more enrolled students versus non-degree or students on OPT will impact how much that economic value is generated in each given year. Yeah, those are really interesting insights in um, those differences that, yeah, that might not be immediately obvious to those of us who, you know, are just seeing kind of the the big numbers and not necessarily digging into the data uh, like the two of you are. Speaking of data, NAFSA's online interactive tool provides uh, a breakdown of the data by state and even congressional district, uh, which I know is very helpful for advocates to share this data with lawmakers. When looking at NAFSA's economic data at the state and congressional district level, are the findings from this year um, particularly notable? Well, in one sense, I mean, the states and congressional districts that generate the most economic value from international students have largely remained unchanged over the past 10 years or so. They also happen to be the ones with the largest enrollment totals overall, such as California and New York, as well as districts in and around places like New York City, Boston, Los Angeles, and Seattle. So it's not at all surprising that they continue to generate the largest dollar and jobs totals, given the attraction of these major cities. But I would say what's most notable this year is that almost every state and congressional district saw a decline in both dollars and jobs. States with the largest percentage declines this year tended to also be smaller states, such as Delaware, which saw their enrollments drop nearly 50% and related dollar contributions drop more than 60%. States like Mississippi, Montana, and West Virginia also saw above average declines. So these smaller states uh, that have lower enrollment totals overall, we would expect them to uh, be more vulnerable to large shifts in enrollment. So like I mentioned in the intro, NAFSA's economic analysis uses the enrollment data from the latest Open Doors report. And to account for the pandemic's impact on student mobility, IIE's research team adjusted the survey methodology and they revised the definition of what is an enrolled international student in order to include international students who were unable to study in person and had to study online. In your perspective, what are the implications of this change in methodology and does the change impact the economic findings? Um, yes, the methodology had to account for that in this cycle. Due to the pandemic, the, the government did allow international students to remain in status even if conducting online only coursework and even if from abroad. Uh, Jason, I'll just interrupt to say just a note, pre-pandemic to have immigration status, international students had to study in the U.S. in person and were limited to just one online course per term or semester. Yeah, so therefore we had to leverage the data points as best we could to build a model for each school type, research institutions, community colleges, et cetera, and the different student types, undergrad, grad, non-degree, in order to determine what proportion of those students were engaged in their education outside of the US. And counting students studying online would impact the economic findings. We, of course, would still count tuition fees, but all the living expenses would need to be reduced as these students would not be within the US. 
also for the prior year, um, when the pandemic first hit, we had to account for, for when um, some minor reduction rates due to those that couldn't arrive in March or the overall decline in living spending just due to the lockdowns. And I would say because this year's enrollment data set does include both students studying here and students studying online uh, from abroad, this makes comparisons to prior years more challenging since pre-pandemic totals only included students studying here in person. And as Jason was saying, counting online students in the data set results in a reduced economic contribution. Once normal travel and visa processing is in place, which assures international students are able to return to studying in person in the United States in larger numbers, I would expect the methodology will revert back to focusing on just the students that are in country. So an asterisk may need to be put on these pandemic years to note that difference. However, as we saw due to the pandemic, virtual and online education has grown considerably and it seems clear that it's here to stay in some capacity U.S. higher education delivery models are constantly evolving, and there may be a desire to continue capturing data on international students who are studying online only. But having said that, the online experience clearly has some limitations for students, so it's not likely to supplant the desire for an in-person study experience. As with many things, the asterisk <laughs> next to the last couple of years um, right. applies to this as well. So the two of you have been working together on NAFSA's annual economic analysis for a long time. Uh, I'd love to hear some of the history behind this project and kind of how it came about. So sure, so I was not at NAFSA when the idea was first developed, but it was as it was told to me, it was sometime around the mid 1990s that the idea of calculating the economic contributions of international students to the US economy was first brought to NAFSA by longtime NAFSA member and member leader, the late Kenneth Rogers, who was then Associate Dean of International Services at Indiana University. Of course, NAFSA was very interested in the idea as economic impacts uh, as you noted earlier, can be effective information when advocating with Congress and other decision makers. But Jason, I think you might have some more details on the background that you, we could share. Yeah, so Ken Rogers, he co-authored an Open Doors article in the early 1990s titled Calculating the Economic Impact of Foreign Students in Institutional Perspective. It was an IU-specific analysis of international student contributions. As Rachel said, he brought this idea to NAFSA as there was strong interest from the field to calculate for the whole nation. So initially applying the IU estimate of expenses to all international students across the country is what they ended up doing. So they took the IU model and applied it everywhere. Then in 2001, when I came in the mix and developed the current methodology, we changed that and combined more precisely it's each institution's own enrollment data and their own from Open Doors and their own tuition and expense data, which we first pulled from College Board and then now we pull from the Department of Education's IPEDS data set. So now we kind of have it more precise for each institution. So at its core, this has been the methodology used for the last 20 years now. Such an interesting history to hear about the genesis of this project. Not only will NASA's economic analysis and the Open Doors report be linked in the show notes, but we'll also have links to all of the other data sources that Jason and Rachel are mentioning. So Jason, I'm curious more about your involvement with the analysis. I know when you joined the project, you kind of helped refine the algorithm that's used in the analysis. And then a few years ago, you incorporated the jobs analysis along with 
developing the interactive tool, the International Student Economic Value Tool um, on the NASA website. Yeah, so I joined the Office of International Services at, at Indiana University in 1999. And it was in that next year I questioned the analysis used as not all international students are the same and not all institutions are matched IU. So I took on the task of redesigning and improving the methodology as previously mentioned. This meant that data was analyzed for each school and student type. So we looked at undergrads differently from grads, differently from non-degree to apply expenses and funding more precisely. And besides working colleagues within OIS, I also reached out to professors at the institution for validation on this new approach. And that's a strategy I would do again later when we added the jobs analysis. It was in the early 20 teens when discussions began around developing an interactive online tool. And then I led the development for the code and the database for that tool. At the same time, there was also equally an interest in having an analysis look at multiplier effects and jobs. So I did this by using both the Department of Commerce data, along with some academic research on the impact of innovation sectors on job creation to kind of help establish a model for both direct and indirect jobs supported by international student contributions to the economy. And more recently, I contributed additional analysis for model losses. First, during the 2017 to early 2020 period, and then on more recent losses incurred due to the global COVID-19 pandemic. In 2019, I left IU and started my own company, but I've continued to work with NAFS on this project, something I definitely care about quite a bit. And so I've worked with NASA for now 21 years, and I look forward to continuing this support for this important resource in the field. Well, we appreciate uh, everything that you, you bring to the table and your, your expertise in this area. And so in addition to the release of the Open Doors report in November, IIE also recently released the results of the fall 2021 enrollment snapshot survey, which showed increased enrollments for this fall. With mobility resuming, is it safe to assume that next year's results will look better? And what are the variables on your radar that could either hasten or hamper the recovery efforts in the U.S.? So, yeah, so the responses to this fall's snapshot survey do look promising, but I do want to note that we're not quite yet back to normal. The survey did find for this fall that the overall number of international students enrolling increased by 4%, which is up from the 15% decrease reported last year. However, 35% of reported international students are studying online. That is better than last fall's 53%, but remember the survey did not count online students previously in earlier surveys. So again, this will be a period of where we, we may need to put an asterisk on the enrollment tracking. But having said that, you know, the higher, the more positive results for this fall should translate into higher dollars and jobs in the analysis we conduct next year. But because our analysis based on the open door survey and is calculated based on academic level and institution type, you know, we're going to have to see what those numbers actually look like. Uh, in terms of other factors that we are watching, I mean, COVID still remains an unknown variable going forward thinking like a year ago, the first vaccine was just beginning to roll out. And this past year, we've had some variants emerge such as first Delta and now this Omicron variant. And this is leaving many travel restrictions changing uh, and in place. 
Also, airlines have yet to fully return uh, with the volume of available flights not yet back to pre-pandemic levels, and that has an impact on ability for students to be able to, to travel. Uh, and then another factor is rising inflation in this country. You know, it's all something to watch. Uh, tuition and living expenses in the United States are already high when compared to other countries. Yeah, agreed. That is more and more countries become fully vaccinated. We should see a continued rebound. Um, however, as Rachel says, um, we will have to continually deal with all these new variants, which may even evade some vaccines or even just cause more worrisome concerns for non-vaccinated or immune compromised people. And that could lead to even further travel restrictions or just even fuel travel hesitancy. We're actively seeing this now with recent restrictions affecting eight nations in Southern Africa. But beyond the pandemic, it's important to remember the U.S. was already in an annual decline of international enrollment that we need to be mindful of. So we have some pre-existing issues that we need to be addressed to get back to the full student mobility and also where the U.S. is a premier destination. Yeah, that's right, Jason. New international student enrollments dropped more than 11% from fall 2016 through fall 2019. And that, that was largely due to the anti-immigrant rhetoric and policies that were put in place by the prior U.S. administration. So speaking of improvements, um, in order for the U.S. to rebound from the pandemic, NAFSA, along with others in higher education, is advocating for a national strategy around international education. So hypothetically, if we snapped our fingers and this national strategy was implemented tomorrow, what would the data findings look like, say, five years from now? So the short answer is that we hopefully would see much better data findings. We would see more international students choosing to study in the United States, and we would see more U.S. students studying abroad. We would see increased diversity in international students on our campus. Right now, 53% of international students who are enrolled come from just China and India, as well as more diversity in backgrounds. U.S. higher education is expensive, especially for undergraduate international students who are not eligible to receive financial aid. So most of the students who are here are ones that can afford the high cost. For U.S. students, we would see increased participation in study abroad, and we would see increased diversity in participation, as well as in diversity in destinations. The typical U.S. student studying abroad tends to be largely white and female, and the latest Open Doors report showed nearly 58% of U.S. students studying abroad in European countries. But as we noted earlier, COVID remains an unknown variable. It's something that will never really go away. So we just hope we can get to a place where it is more manageable, like treating it something like the flu. Another unknown variable within the next five years is also possible political change in this country, back to an administration that is once again anti-immigrant. Yeah, and I believe we must embrace that full spirit as a nation of immigrants and reinforce our openness of a society and our democratic institutions and lean into the dynamic economy that we have in this country. If we do that in line with a good national strategy for international education, it would have profound positive impacts. I believe a successful strategy would give a clear path for those that get educated in the U.S. to stay and only work but start their own businesses from here and improved pathways for employment visas and permanent residencies are really essential for an innovation-based world that we actually all live in. And if we do those types of things, we can see an even stronger reinforcement loop between education, research, and innovation that would although further attract people from all over the globe here. Um, the other thing we need to see in this next decade is how higher education itself evolves. 
and what this may mean for diverse models and how that may even change the composition of shorter versus longer duration of stays for education. And that may even lead to new or different increases in overall student mobility. Yeah, it sounds like things are ever changing. And uh, I just, you know, let's, let's all hope this national strategy takes off sooner than later for all of the reasons that both of you just mentioned. I also wanted to say thank you so much for the, the time uh, and your expertise on this topic. I definitely learned a lot. There's, there's a lot more behind the numbers and it was really interesting to hear your perspective, especially given um, how long you've both been working on uh, NASA's analysis of the data. So thanks again for the time and expertise and um, we'll make sure to include all of the resources and, and information uh, on NASA's analysis and, um, and these other resources in the show notes. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the International Educator Podcast. You can access NAFSA's analysis at nafsa.org slash economic value, which will also be linked in the show notes. Thank you for joining us for this edition of NAFSA International Educator Podcast. Please visit nafsa.org to read more from International Educator Magazine and to join us as a member of NAFSA. Together we can make a better world.